Welcome. <laughs> Episode five. Episode five. And definitely a more homely feel. Yeah, today we're in, in my house, my abode. Um, Casa del Rooney. Casa del Rooney. Um, for a number of reasons. Mainly because we want to play with Alice. Alice, my dog, um, at the moment, Dan is stroking her. So if yeah. you hear any, what is it, heavy panting? <laughs> if you hear heavy panting or sloppy licking it's definitely Alice and not me it's Alice yeah don't don't think something weird's going on <laughs> <laughs> no um, but welcome welcome thank you uh, for coming back thank you for uh, trying us out if this is your first time yeah um, we've had obviously this is the f- number five so m- so many good responses about the first four um, so there's if you haven't checked them out already please do so and give us a, a critique but yeah, we, we love doing it, and um, yeah, episode five already, and I think today is a bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? We're going to we're going to touch a on a couple of topics, topics. Um, try and go into them with a bit of detail, and uh, our own levels of expertise, and um, yeah, try and create some discussion. Rooney now kicks away, Commonwealth champion for discus down. Rooney gets the goal! Medal at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race in lane one. Great character. Well done, Dan Greaves. What topics are we doing? We're doing. So today we'll just start athlete development from playing other sports. So there's obviously in athletics and, and like many other sports. I guess I don't know about yourself, but I've tried lots of sports before I tried athletics, um, and we've seen it quite a lot in an elite level sport where maybe there's been a crossover mm-hmm. so it'd be quite interesting to chat about that yeah um That's and tough. then obviously at like women's sport which is a very hot topic and just our views and and how we see it um to where it's been and where it's coming from and then i guess we're going to then cover personally um injuries and rehabilitation and how we've overcome serious injuries whether it be in comp or training um yep. and kind of like the best practices that we would hopefully prescribe or um, have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So I've been licked by Alice. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to play it cool. Alice is a, a cockapoo and she looks like a teddy bear and she basically acts like a cat. So <laughs> she's a cross of three things, basically. Um, yeah, there's a, a three topics that we want to chat to you about today. Um, and uh, yeah, give our viewpoints across. Crossover sports. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, what an intro. <laughs> So Dan, um, both of us as kids played a range of sports, um, and I think we both can posi- have positive uh, reflections on it and how much of an influence it's had on our senior careers. Like for me, overcoming my disability at the start, the best form of rehab when I was younger um, was my dad chucking me in the swimming pool. <laughs> Could <laughs> you swim? Literally at the deep end. <laughs> Luckily, just about. Like it was a single <laughs> swim moment. I was like, I think I was like. I got in the pool really early, like two, three, and then started properly swimming when I was four. But it was just primarily because because they thought I'd struggle walking. It was a good weightless rehabilitation for me. And then I I loved swimming, so I carried it on. And that's where I got got on my broad shoulders. I can always remember I felt so different at school because of my my broad shoulders at swimming – Mm-hmm. brought upon at high school always had to wear a different uniform did like, you yeah so i had to my mum had to especially go out there and get a slightly large i wasn't i wasn't big i just had big shoulders yeah 
Just which? But, yeah, my mum just had to go and get um, one that didn't have the like school logo on, so I had just like a blue, plain blue jumper. So I always felt a little <laughs> bit different, which slightly, I didn't really care. But no. but yeah, like... Um, you literally were a triangle? Inverted triangle. It was like... From an early age? From an early age. And, that, and that's the thing, like, at the time... You just, I did so many, so many lengths, and you just don't see it. Mm. But then looking back on all the pictures, like I was, I was still skinny, but just had broader shoulders than every other, every other lad in the school. So I guess that's always that. a good thing, though. Like, yeah, surely, I mean, like as a teenager, having broad shoulders is kind of like buff things. Like all the girls are going to be on you, <laughs> mate. I wish. I literally <laughs> just had that was it. That's all, all I had going for me, and spots and a horrible and, and more horrible haircuts. Oh mate. Oh yes. High school Sorry. was a disaster. <laughs> um, what but, other sports did you? Did, I know you. Uh, you've told me before you did triathlon. Yeah. So my dad was he was really keen at in triathlon. He was part of a triathlon club, and so then I naturally went into that being a swimmer. I was like, oh, he's only biking and running. Mm. You know more for me literally I, I could sit on a bike happily but I just can't run <laughs> yeah, so, even now can't run so how did so, you how did you cope it was it was quite interesting actually so I used to go we've got like um, playing fields behind the back of where my parents live and we used to do like football training and we've gone long runs there so I used to do just do extra when I started to do triathlon um just did extra laps around the around the field just because I needed to, but just because because of my disability and stuff, I just struggled to run um, with like my cadence and my gait and everything else. And so I just got fitter and I found the bike like really, really easy. But but the run, like triathlon is such a mean sport. You, you, like the swim, obviously for me as a swimmer was a doddle. Get on the bike and you kind of, with the bike, you just kind of you go through the motions. You recover a bit, ready for the run. Yeah. Um, and then on yeah on the on the run. Oh my god! I literally you jump off the bike and you start running, and your legs are like jelly anyway. And yeah, it's just uh, you know I I struggle to to run at the best of times, but to then get off off the bike and start running, and you feel like you can't feel your legs is just hideous. So I just I just had to try and. Yeah, just try and run a bit, like just get get used to running because I just wasn't a runner naturally. Do you think so, that um, perseverance kind of helped with like the mental toughness of trying to go yeah, to an elite sport like, afterwards? Or I reckon now, looking back, um, so I used to get up at stupid o'clock with my dad before work at like half five and go swimming because I really wanted to be a swimmer. And then I think yeah, getting getting up before high school to go swimming. So it just it taught me like dedication, perseverance. Um, all the important things to succeed, really. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just it was just a great learning curve to to try different different sport. And most of my kids mates at school would do rugby, football, and I'd do that as well. But everyone's like, "What's well, triathlon? That's you know, it's pretty different. It's a mentally very tough yeah. sport. You, you watch the guys and how they train and um, the levels that they push themselves to. So it's like, oh yeah, we've got to smash out a, a swim at the start, open water. Yeah. And then you knack it off that. All right, now you've got to go well, for a you bike. Should, you look at the Ironman, for instance, like <clears> the <throat> top end, like the holy grail of triathlon. Yeah. And they do like, a, whatever, it's like a, a mile swim, a 110-mile bike, and a marathon. It's a marathon at the end, isn't it? And yeah. you're like, that is just obscene. And then to top it all off, it's in Hawaii. <laughs> One of the hottest places on earth. Oh, so you're yeah, like, yeah. Mm, it's challenging enough, but we're going to put it in a really hot island. 
the with two, volcan- with volcanoes. The two guys I, that we know, uh, Tim Dunn and uh, Will Clark, they're both both do Ironman now, and obviously Tim Dunn is he world record holder? Tim Dunn? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he definitely yeah. was. Yeah, and he's had a massive crash and come back and stuff, and it's incredible to see the perseverance he's had. But like, they are a bit crazy. Mm. Like, they're both kind of odd, funny characters. Um, a bit off the wall and I suppose to do that kind of level of sport you kind of have to have that yeah just just experiencing that it's, it's just off the bike you've been on a long bike ride your legs are knackered and then you try and run it's yeah it's impossible it's yeah like trying to try and run with so, so when you were a kid how, what's the furthest you went um so I just did the sprint series so it'd be like a 750 meter swim um 10 to 15k bike i think it was because i was only young and then it was like a 5k run so that's like it's tough yeah like 13 14 that was really tough yeah so well, what about you what um what sports did you do before um so i did i pretty much threw myself into most sports like i swam um my parents were very keen that we learned to swim at a young age and then uh i ran from a young age as well i played football with my school. I went to a rugby school, oh, cool. a John Fisher school in Purley. So we played rugby. I was flung about. What like, position did you play? I started off in outside centre, uh, then went to wing, and then I was meant to go second row. But fortunately, I got really good at running, and it was kind of like, cool. Okay. <laughs> you can concentrate on that now. Yeah. Um, but I did lots of cross country. Um, I, I think it was just like being able to go and play football and rugby at a young age, not to any level that was like outside of the school. I, I county stuff I probably could have got to if I if I weighed a bit more but um, just having that background of doing multi-directional sports it was a massive thing for me as a kid yeah. just to and being part of a team I enjoyed being part of a team with rugby and football just naturally it's such a a great experience to be part of a team and mm. you're all working together and then obviously uh, I know we've got teams around us in athletics but it's quite like a a lonely sport yeah. athletics. Um but what do you what do you prefer naturally? Um when it comes to all out performance, I prefer individual because the individual allows me to be like if I get it right, it's down to me getting it right on the day. If I get it if I make a mistake, it's down to me as well. So you take ownership of every everything that you do. Yeah. Um in a relay and in team situations I really struggled as a kid. I was a terrible loser as a kid. And uh Especially th- if it wasn't your fault. Oh, yeah, if someone else must messed up, uh, I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> I was like, God, be... He dropped the button sod. again. Yeah, like, and, uh, it's something I've had to learn to curb. I think, like, as part of a team, you have to understand that you, you win together, you, you lose together. Yeah. Um, if one person doesn't have a great day, then it's just, it's just part of the squad. Yeah. That's what happens. Um, so we've had lots of practice with that, unfortunately, in the past, but we've also come out of it the other side and won lots of medals so it's kind of uh, um, yeah, it was definitely a, playing multi, doing different sports as a kid definitely helped mould that kind of uh, thing for me and it, for me leadership is something that's kind of come from it I think yeah. having been uh, played in the football teams and rugby teams I think I was the most I'd have ever been was vice captain in rugby um, mainly because I was such a sore loser but <laughs> It's definitely helped me become a bit more of a leader within the relay setup, and it's something that I think I've thrived upon. Um, even from a young age, when there was older guys in the team, I definitely felt like I could step up and lead the guys out. And 
hopefully lead by example. So um, definitely having played different sports has helped in that situation. Yeah, I mean, and we see it quite a lot, don't we? Like, I guess um, an example from my side of the sport would be like Lawrence Okoye, um, who was a high-level rugby player just about to break into the rugby scene and then like, picked up a, a pretty nasty injury which set him back and yeah. like just so happened to to fall um, into like a, a centre to recover from it where um, his coach, John Hillier, was was training and then said, oh, you should have a go at discus. Yeah. And then evolved from <laughs> throwing 38, 40 metres in one year to then up to 52 in another to then two years later breaking the British record and making an Olympic final in London 2012. Like, probably one of the most impressive It is incredible. Story. The speed of the turnaround. Like, But obviously, like, it helps that the guy was a monster. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> a and physical is, specimen. It, it, like, it leads to, like, I guess nature and nurture when, you know, someone else in the sport is maybe given and sacrificed 10, 15 years to the sport. And this guy, this absolute monster of a guy who's just strong, has got some technical prowess, but it's brute force essentially. Mm. It must be, well, I know for myself in past experiences, it's, it's bloody annoying when someone that yeah. talented and that strong turns up and can just launch it off of raw strength. But yeah, like the the nurture nature thing is is quite prominent there. Like you think excellent at team sports, and then he's just rocked up, and three years later he's making Olympic finals and breaking the British yeah, record. Yeah. But it was good. It was a kick up the ass that maybe British discus throw needed, yeah. didn't it? Really, like yeah, the other guys had to race Bahari, yeah. Abdul went sixty five that year, qualified for the Olympics, and Brett Morse went sixty six. Yeah. yeah, and you had Chris Scott that went sixty three. Like everyone had to pick the game up, and Carl Moskov. Yeah, almost just literally elevated everyone's performance mm. having one guy go 68 metres. Yeah. No, it was brilliant um, for the sport. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it for a while, but... Hopefully. Who knows? He might be back. Yeah. <laughs> he, he might be, be lurking he'll probably He'll just rock up and they're like, 2020, all right, I fancy an Olympics. Okay, cool. Guys, I'm going to go throw a bit. And then 65 metres yeah. and 66 metres, you're like, okay. Because now, obviously, he knows, he knows how to handle himself and conduct it and train. So... Mm. I would have loved to have him not to go to NFL and see what he could do because I could potentially think he could have been a world record holder in the making. You think? Yeah, to throw 68 metres after three or four years of competitive sport and then it only be 73 metres or 74.08, which is a long way, but to have um, proper development and to mature into the sport and throw has gone to like 35 and he was like 25 26 yeah, yeah. so he had a good 10 years that's it he could have I reckon he could have easily got close to it I think there's uh, quite a lot of athletes who come from other sports like my wife Kate she was a gymnast national level gymnast and um, that was obviously like it's quite a dynamic event um, and she had a, a a level of fitness and strength that led her straight into pole like she could sprint she could jump and she could push her body to a Another level. So How long did it take Kate to like do like the transfer? Um, I think she gave up gymnastics when she was about 16, 17. I think it got to a point where uh, she probably didn't enjoy it anymore. And then um, I think by she went to World Juniors uh, in Jamaica, which would have been by the time she was 18. So it's quite a quick so turnaround. Quite, yeah, quite really quick. Like I think you got to say within a year and a half, two years, she was like onto a pole and jumping yeah. high. So um, 
she definitely had like the, the right grounding. And then um, we got to look at other guys. We've got like Adam Jamili, Di Green. There's probably a long list of guys who played football and um, uh, a lot of... Um, who was the ballerina who threw the hammer? Oh, Sophie Hitchin. Sophie Hitchin. Was it, there was another one as well, wasn't there, who went to Beijing? Um, Scottish girl. Uh, Shirley, Shirley Anderson. Was it? Well, Shirley Webb, but yeah. it's Anderson now. I think she's married. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like there was definitely a crossover from like, uh, like I could see in ballet where it's so, like, so much core and balance and it's body like, awareness and essentially, stuff. Yeah, you've got to have really, really strong ankles, good footwork, yeah. and good mobility. So, in the hammer, obviously, it's yeah, you're being pulled out by a hammer and you've got to have such such strong core to sit back on, on the weight mm. and not let it pull you over. So that's that's really good. And obviously they've got, yeah, quick feet, quick feet good balance um, and good mobility. And you see now in hammer throwing, the, you know, girls used to be absolute units of massive mm. where now they're tall, long and rangy and, hot and, not, and they're not packing too much weight. It's all about speed and, and yeah. power and velocity of the, of the hammer. It's that it's completely same with discus throwing. Actually, the guys now they are big and they are monsters, but yeah, yeah. there's no beer bellies anymore. Like maybe there was <laughs> back in the back in the seventies. Yeah, but then that comes with everything, doesn't it? Training and style was the whole lot. Mm. But yeah, they <laughs> look the field event is gradually looking a bit more athletic. That's the same in rugby, though. Yeah. yeah, in rugby, it's like you don't see these props now that are, that, that they're monsters. They're all like yeah. barreled bodies because they're like muscle ridden. And and you see the guys guys of yesteryear that would maybe be like the second row, or and they're they're now the same size as a winger. And you it's think, a winger. yeah, you think those guys on the wing are monsters, and you've got the guys at the, at the front and front packs are, are huge, um, completely different to what it was years ago. Yeah. So we we're going to say that having done other sports as a kid, that's definitely a positive thing. Um, do you think it also gives you, um, I think there's a big problem in men's football where a lot of kids come through academies and they're not rounded enough. Do you know, like I think yeah. Gareth Southgate was talking about it before on BT Sport where he, he's not a fan of academy academies in general like he, he understands like there's a necessity for them but not when there's they're picking up kids who are three four years old like you, you just yeah. can't get your head around like what footballer is going to be how can you tell us someone's going to be a footballer at four years old no yeah yeah i get it i mean i get that obviously the football clubs it's you know it's such a cash cow that they need the next big player they need the next big star yeah. and generally when you pick them up I mean, the development curve doesn't really start that early, but if they pick them up that early and, and then still development, proprioception, um, all the skills to, to involved to make a great footballer, their, their development can accelerate much more than if they're left to their own devices. But for me, like you say, it's just I think they need to enjoy the sport uh, as children and then... I mean, we had scouts at our our school, um, some that went on to play for like Leicester and Sunderland. And yeah, there were scouts there and we were like 12. Yeah, it's so young. It's so young when you think about it, but it's it's the perfect, that is the perfect development mental age. Mm -hmm. Then you can start, you're still young enough to to mould your um, ability. But yeah, three, four, five years old. What's the percentage of like 
I wonder what the percentage is of young kids coming through from academies to actually playing in like at the top level in Premier League football, say, or international oh, football. I, I I think it's minute compared to People. what you probably think it is. Yeah. Because I've got a couple of friends who've got older sons than um than Henry and they're five or six and they're just they're just filtered out. Every year they're like, mm, he hasn't really improved much, gone. He he he's picked up an injury, gone, yeah. and they're six, and they're getting setbacks of, you know, they're, their they're dreams. In, yeah, they're important. in an academy at yeah. maybe Nottingham Forest, Leicester City, and it's a dog eat dog at six years old. It's dog eat dog yeah. to get in the team, to stay fit, to stay healthy, and you think that is something that maybe a teenager should be, or you know, like where you verging on professional to learn about that, not six seven years old, and your love for the sport can be crushed because yeah, let's just be left out. You talk to a lot of the guys like um, Tom Burton is a, a four hurdler. Well, he's just retired British four hurdler. Um, he was a, a fairly talented footballer at Villa, West Ham, uh, West Brom on the books for a couple of them for the academy. Then he was let go because he was too small. Now he's six foot three. Like he's a big dude. <laughs> yeah. And he's like made Europeans and stuff like that. And, uh, he has no love for football, really. Like, he's like, I have no interest in playing it, no interest in going, like, just have a kickabout. It's just like... And he was a talented yeah. footballer. But it was just like, because of... Because of what happened. Bit, because of the professionalism and stuff at a young age, he was a bit like, like, how how would you sustain that? And I think... Because I never really did athletics. I did athletics as a, as a youngster, but I did it along other sports and I did everything. I did long jump. I did I did the walk. Yeah, that was boring. <laughs> I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how... Like. I didn't know what I was doing. You just kind of went to Battersea Park and you walked around the track for a bit. And <laughs> yeah. um, as long as you were getting points for the club, it didn't matter. Um, and the then, dog walkers. <laughs> dog walkers. Um, and then, yeah, I did pole vault and stuff like that. I was rubbish at all of them. But it helped me develop as a, a better sprinter okay, yeah. as I was older. But um, I also made reinforce the fact that I could only do it if I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I wasn't going to be a... I think that's the positive point of athletics is... It, like like football, but it takes so long to develop and harness your skill set yeah. that the, there is no kind of culling system. You know, like with with football, that yeah, like you say, with Tom as an example, had they kept him on and like developed him and then saw that oh, he's actually growing at a really you know rate of knots and everything, then he might have made it. But with athletics. You can't tell at 13, 14 when your growth spurt happens. And, mm. you know, you might, like I was, I was still quite skinny at 13, 14, and then went on when I was 18, completely different muscular structure, a few, pu and a few puberty and everything. So you can't, you can't tell what someone's going to eventually be until, with it, especially in athletics, you can, it's, it's quite, I think that's one bonus thing about the sport is that we can keep people in the sport because it's not so, not so one-dimensional as in the fact where, you, you know, you can only do one thing. You do multiple of sports mm. and find your niche later on. You see a lot in the the middle and middle distance runners. They kind of like, they're solid middle distance runners as kids and then they start moving up the distances and they become like world-class endurance runners. And it's yeah. like, like, I suppose Paula Radcliffe, she was like a solid international level middle distance runner. And then it was like, now you're, you're the greatest ever female marathon runner. Yeah. in history like you're a world record holder and stuff so it's um there's the opportunities to move and try different things and progress in different ways um i think it gives you a different dynamic as well doesn't it you know just 
in general, like if you've tried lots of different sports at a young age, team sports, individual, like crazy ones like squash or, uh, you know, um, triathlon, just completely not what school sport would be. Yeah. And then it gives you a totally different thing towards what eventually you might end up doing that sport, but you just you just don't know what your niche is going to be. Mm. And, and that's why, like, I think very we've been both very fortunate to try multiple different sports until we've found something that A, we love and, and B, we're good at. Yeah. But even within athletics, two of the best sprinters in the world are Daphne Shippers, who some would say is the world record holder in the 200. Controversial, but um, she was a multi-eventer, an uh, international standard multi-eventer. And Carsten Warholm, who just ran a European record in the four hurdles, and he's arguably one of the fastest indoor 400 meter runners ever. Um, he he just he came from multi events. I raced him when when he was young, and he was still doing multi events. And now he's like focusing on the 400 and four hurdles, and he's run 44 seconds, and he's run uh, 47.3 over the hurdles. So it's multi events, yeah. although it is within athletics, it's still like he hasn't specified. No what he was going to do until later on. Um, and I think just multis doing as uh, my advice basically to young kids is to do as much as you can and try as many things as you can and have fun with it. Like it keeps you, it'll motivate you to do well in a sport later on. I think. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Whatever sport it is, it doesn't have to be athletics. It could be like in basketball, football, rugby, um, just being active and doing other things is, it's good for the brain. Good for your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, looking from an older perspective of what we've achieved and been through as a younger age like this is where i think p sport is so so detrimental to even just furthering in life it just like you say it teaches you good life skills um it keeps them active fit and healthy lifestyle but it does set you up for life and and kind of teaches you a a path early on Mm. sweet Women in sport. Women in sport. Such a hot topic right now. Yeah, it's, it's it's a weird one. I think because we're in athletics, I feel like we feel that I don't don't really I don't really understand it as much because in athletics has always been, as far as I've remembered, it's fifty fifty. Um, I think there's some events which um, aren't like obviously it's a, it's a hundred meter hurdles rather than the one ten hurdles, and the, the hurdle heights are quite different in height. Like I think the women's Sprint hurdles is really low. Um, it's lower than the men's four hurdles. Comfortably yeah. lower than the men's And four. I think I think I can remember some women maybe in suggest like, suggesting that it get get raised. Yeah, they get raised. Yeah, there's a definitely a, there was definitely an argument a few years ago about women raising wanting the the hurdles raised up. Uh, uh, I know Kate has always been. Uh, she wants the heptathlon to become a decathlon, and the um, same as the men. But as far as it's weird because it's like in athletics, it's, it's pretty much equal pay. If well, yeah, not, yeah, women is, get yeah. paid more than men in contracts and stuff like that. I yeah, think I think um, so. There's a latest statistic out that um, that women, I think, uh, men's um, pay is about thirty one thousand uh, in prize money that, that equals it out. So it, it is like fifty fifty. Yeah, um, which which is only good for the sport, isn't it? Really, it just shows that you know what we're about um compared to you know you look at the likes of football yeah football's a completely different game it's like a completely different ballpark when it comes to money 
But mm. I think the male is completely different to everything. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah. Like, like football on a par of pay payment versus different sports is is astronomical, isn't it? So uh, yeah, like men, men's Premier League football, Champions League football. <sighs> it's a different world. Yeah. Like they should be uh, individual charities, shouldn't they? Really, and be like supporting yeah. other sports or organizations. Yeah. The amount of money they're making. So, women's sport, women's football, although it's getting great coverage at the moment for the World Cup. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things we noticed is, is like, uh, they've got all the shirts up in the, in the store and like supermarkets and stuff. They've got all the England shirts up and the flags and stuff. So, that's like first time that's probably happened. Yeah, it's massive. And I think I, I watched it yesterday and I loved it. It was um, Brazil or beaten Australia 2 0. Yeah. And then Australia came back to win 3-2 and it was it was it was brilliant and yeah I've got to hold my hands up I've never really taken an avid interest in women's football but like I you know I am now like now I've got yeah. a few friends um that play the game mm. and and yeah it's like it's, it was really thrilling and um I think it's only good for the sport to evolve to have the media outlet and the high figures that everyone's now watching to know that it's just great for women who want to play football in the future. Yeah, I definitely. Because it gives exposure to role models. Um, you know, it's, it's a great team sport anyway, but it really highlights the fact that, yeah, anyone can can, can do it and play it. And, and yeah, the, you know, like the statistics are, are quite appalling when you think that, you know, there's only just over 10% of sports coverage is dedicated to women's sport. For me, yeah, that like, as a male in a in an athletic sport, it's not good enough, is it really? No, it's this way down on what it should be. Um, I think um, when you look at role models for young girls to look up to and young boys, like um, I don't know if you've seen it on CBBS. There's Footy Pups and um, Rachel Yankee is the the presenter for it, and I thought it was brilliant because it's like, look, one my son wants to get into football and he'll watch her and he'll be more engaged when it's her, and then um, my daughter. As someone that she can look up to and go, okay, look, this is this is possible when she's older. And she's the pair of them kick the ball about in the garden, but it's after putting on footy pups that they get involved in it. Yeah, um, yeah, so. I think, um, I think, yeah, just having more women, like more women in exposed TV areas, to to highlight the fact that anything is possible to to achieve, whether it's in sport or presenting or just just to highlight the fact that women can equally do what men can. Yeah. I know an awful lot of women might not feel that that's the case, but it is gathering pace. And obviously with the the high TV figures, the Football World Cup, it's only a good thing. Then, you know, the cricket, women's cricket's getting a better following. Yeah. Women's rugby, England winning the World Cup, like the men is, is, is bolstering and having the game straight after the... RBS Six Nations is yeah. always, I think, a positive thing, um, and and it's only going to grow, isn't it? I think. I think um, out of all the sports, I think rugby is something that um, has done it the best. I think having, like I said, having the championships at the same time, yeah. uh, so you have Six Nations on at the same time, so you get equal coverage. Well, you get a lot of coverage, um, and I think uh, there's no. It's not like uh, they haven't changed the game in any way. You know, yeah, like women's yeah. basketball, like the rings lower and stuff like that. Like, this, why, why, why do that? Like, yeah. the women's rugby and women's football is exactly the same game. There's no 
changes or anything. So that's, I think they've done that very well. Um, and I, I, I probably sound like I'm belittling it, but I'm not. I, like I think I'm just a fan of what they do. Um, and I know that there's that classic thing of uh, you see it on Twitter when guys will just like take the mick out of it. And it's like, well, go down and train with them. Go like, go play, uh, go do a weight session with some of the rugby girls or do some sprints or do some kick. See if you can have a, a five-a-side game with some of the the footballers. You get Karen Kenny on there and she's just like, nutmegs you. It's game over, mate. That sounds so, like a, a great pilot for a show. It's like, it's like... It, you know, just Joe Bloggs off the street who, who you know, thinks thinks better of what women women's sports about and everything. That'd make a great show where you've got it, like, like sport professionals in rugby, cricket. You just like you know throw in yeah, like these guys you know who who or people who maybe like belittle the sport. I've got no chance against against these girls. No, these like the level is is so high. The level of professionalism in sport is just like it's just a different. Different, it's hard for people to comprehend. It really is. It's, it's until they see it up close and they can actually watch it. And I think um, figures for actually, was it, it was a game in Spain? Wasn't it like a uh, sellout stadium and was it Madrid? Athletic yeah, um, it was, was, it it was like, is it the equivalent of like the Champions League final? or the Yes. Yeah. Something like that. And it was there was, I think, 67,000 in incredible. like a 70,000-seater stadium yeah, yeah. in Spain. As a Palace fan, like I'd... I dream of <laughs> numbers like dream that for a Palace match. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, I think it, it's just brilliant. I think uh, as much exposure as possible. I think um, the women's netball team have done so well as well, like winning the Commonwealth Games. It was, uh, you notice how many brands jumped on them straight after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I want to be associated. So it's, it's only good for uh, the exposure. And um, and we see that. And I think um, obviously with the World Cup, on terrestrial sky doing great things for netball mm-hmm. um with like obviously we see it locally with love by lightning being um involved in the league yeah. um but but to actually see um we see Catherine mary tweeting yeah Catherine mary is obviously <laughs> it, like it, his, yeah. uh, commentator, uh, ex-athlete, he's a commentator ex-athlete commentator in um in uh, women's netball in the premier league and she's uh she's engaging people bringing them in to watch it and stuff and so but that's like, pretty brilliant. Yeah, uh, th- like the figures are are growing massively for women's netball purely because of the Sky outlet and just how accessible now mm. watching a different sport is. I mean, I guess we're quite quite lucky in athletics where it's a merged sport. You've got male and female um, role models and um, sporting heroes being elevated on the same equal platform. Yeah. So I guess... In athletics, um, especially as obviously we compete in the Olympic Stadium, so it holds a large amount of people so they can see both male and females competing at the same time mm-hmm. and be inspired. And that's we're, we're very fortunate in our sport to have that. Um, other sports obviously have got to then try and initiate a you know a growth base um you know interest and, and that's it's it's getting there, but it's it's not as easy as like maybe in athletics where you know, like the likes of Jess Ennis, Paula Radcliffe, to name a few, and Kelly Holmes. There's a whole spate of 800 meter runners, 1500 meters after Kelly doubled up in Athens mm-hmm. that have come come through, through and yeah. been successful. Or like Jess after Denise Lewis, and then you got Cat now, yeah, doing MGT. great things. It's that exposure and that elevation to be on live TV at the Olympic Games, um, which I think has helped elevate that profile to then encourage more girls 
into sport and then it's just about elevating the exposure for other sports yeah so other girls could be interested in football cricket squash like say netball is growing um, there's, there's definitely uh, opportunities there and it's just making sure that it's available to everyone uh, I don't know what goes on in schools is it like PE still I know it's like um, something that's dropping off in the curriculum it's not as important as it used to be for some reason but uh, yeah I, I can always I, didn't, I, I bet you back me up on this but I can always remember like the whole boys and girls in my year would absolutely lap up PE and we'd do it three four times three or four hours a week would be dedicated to PE physical exercise whether it be learning or actually out in the field or in the sports hall and and it was great when now I think the statistic is like the, something I think about one hour one hour a week or one and a half to two hours well I went to a boys school a so I can't back you up on, uh, on the, the girls getting involved <laughs> um, average but yeah. no I mean there's a recent survey done by active, the active lives report and is looking at sports participation in England for age 14 plus, which would be like a high school age. And like 41% of males did it once a week yeah. compared to only 32.5% of females. Um, but then the same age doing it at least once a month was 52% of males um, compared to 42%. Oh, right. So only once a month it's quite astounding to see that only once a month people are, are being physically active and there's more obviously more boys and more girls yeah. they're only just doing it once a month rather than once a week it's not enough which is, a, yeah which is not enough so there's like a difference of like 1.9 million between the two sexes and 1.6 million so it shows that there's almost 300,000 oh, 300,000 difference doing it going from just physical exercise once a week compared to like once a month, which you'd much prefer it to be once a week. It should be a the standard, higher number, yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, it's up to schools to determine how much time is devoted to PE in, in the curriculum, but department guidance recommends that they should that provide pupils with a minimum of two hours PE, curricular PE per week. Two hours? It's not really much, is it? It's, yeah, it's, it's not a lot. No. Considering you think they go high school, you go through everything: don't you? puberty, body changes, mm. social types, friendships. You know, you might. I think it it is such an importance at school. Yeah. You learn about, like you say, said before, you learn about leadership, friendship, yeah. um, all different types of essentially important structures in your life to follow. Sport and, offers um, and sport offers a lot. Sport offers a lot for people who might feel they're marginalised and not part of the uh, the the clique at school. But like, you join an athletics club or a rugby club, football club, you might find people like minded people. Like, uh, um, and you'll find acceptance, which uh, hopefully yeah, and is like a positive thing. It can increase self confidence, you know, self worth, and then you know to go even deeper. There's you know there's it eradicates bullying like you say it's like being part of a team to feel feel welcomed and and involved and included but also like the the, so you know with with the social media and the social um perception of of like teenagers at the minute like sport can offer so much more that could prevent could prevent like these social imaging um defects that that children now think they need to look like you know, Instagram Love Island models. stars or Instagram models. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And and we had never had that in our day. 
back in the day. Back in daddy. But there, there was no, there was, there was no, yeah. web, you know, no, no internet. There was no social media. There was nothing. And I could still remember to go and play sport after school club. You'd have to, you know, run around and go and find your mates after school. There would be no texting to see where they yeah, were yeah. or anything. You'd go or Hoping that someone turns up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I know it's hard for the government with budget cuts, but I, I think that they, yeah, if they could, if the sports minister could really plough some investment into that, it's 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 not you know proved it's proved right so far with with our era. Yeah, I think it just needs to build. Uh, the government needs to build on uh, success of the women's sports. Like if you look at uh, the numbers of people taking part going up after netball wins, England rugby, England cricket. If England football have a great World Cup, hopefully that can be a massive uptake in uh, in, in women's football, yeah. especially in in schools. Like as we've said, like we need more of it in schools. And uh, yeah, there's no reason why like a girl can't pick up a football and go and run and play with the lads on the football pitches at break time or you know things like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess like one you know good thing from looking at the history or maybe like the highlighting that the lack of um, involvement is that obviously there's campaigns like this girl can. Um, what was the numbers in that? You said that. Yeah. So like, so I think it was, since it's inception, there was 250,000 plus more girls participating in sport. Yeah. Um, and then the youth sport trust, um, I've brought in an alignment with that, um, with, um, this girl can, um, a naturally evolving product of that was um, women in sport. So they're they're running alongside this girl can campaign um, to help engage um, young people and and really empower the confidence through PE in sport, which I think which is great from the youth, youth sport trust. So they're highlighting that there's a massive problem and um, it kind of needs to be resolved and and hopefully um, younger younger girls can increase the participation rate. I was just Googling uh, women in sport and there's a, a summit on the 19th of June in at Twickenham Stadium. Oh, nice. Um, so join 300 plus uh, of the UK's most inspirational women in sport and maximise your career potential. Gain deep insight into the latest trends and revolutionary in the industry. So it's almost about getting as many women into sport as well, uh, like for, as a leadership point of view, as well as a, uh, as a performance point of view. So uh, there's a, Paula Dunn, she's a leader in the Paralympic program. Yeah. Um, we've got Cherry Alexander, who is the British Athletics representative for the IAAF. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just us getting as many opportunities for equal opportunities for people to get into those roles. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's another positive thing that's happening at the moment. Liz, Liz Nicholl, head of UK yeah. Sport. She's got all the power. And uh, Yeah, and obviously there's... Um, um, ex CEO Sue Campbell as well, who was who uh, Roa, what's her name? Um, Heather, um, Catherine, Catherine Granger, Granger. She, another yeah. high position, yeah. Um, it's, it's fantastic, uh, that these opportunities are there, and um, and I think yeah. it filters down as well, doesn't it? If especially in women's sport, if you see high profiled high figures in holding high positions, I know. I can't think of the statistic now. I, I should have written it down, but I think it's, I think there's a statistic of how many um, male versus females hold um, like CEO or um, performance director roles in sport. And 
I want to hazard a guess it's like 60, 70% a male. So it's still, yeah. still not even close to 50, 50. Um, well, that's but, but better than the average. Yeah. But better, better than probably better than the average, um, like, industry and maybe banking or um, high level without the statistics I can't say but it is growing so now we're going to talk about injuries something that both of us have had a fair amount of experience with and yeah. uh, how we've coped with it and the rehab that goes alongside it um, I was thinking I'm creaking at just this thought of moving in the chair <laughs> <laughs> we've both got old man hips oh we have <laughs> austenol is a great thing yeah we both uh, are in a position I, I've, I've had a torn labrum um, and uh, had that a repair for that and you've had you've got yeah I've literally yeah I've got well currently um, just deterioration just slightly on the femur not the, like not the ball and socket joint where the labrum is but yeah just some of the the tissue that's holding the ball and socket in the in that position there I've got some slight deterioration so I went for an injection um, recently and it's nothing I can train it's just afterwards I get my hip just tightens up and I completely lose all my range and it's on my right side where I need that drive I need to be able to get into the circle and, and, like, and drive across the circle and it's because because my weakness is my left side my right side is kind of the driver for my throw yeah. and I need it to be so yeah I've had had a little bit of an issue but you know, in the injection, sort of, almost like WD forty, isn't it, Austin? Pretty much, just, yeah. It just lubricates the joint. It's something that is naturally occurring in your body, um, and it's just something you kind of topping it up, basically. Yeah, it's just um, get it mobile. It's almost like a like a creaky part on a car. Just <laughs> um, this is this is actually a topic that I've got a lot of questions on, uh, but that's been sent in. Uh, so we should, let's get started on that. Uh, what uh, what are the latest rehab tools? I've just seen you get a drill. <laughs> I have. I've just I've just purchased a massage gun, um, which sounds a bit crazy. So if you can imagine, yeah, like like it looks very much like <laughs> like like a drill with lots of different attachments that goes on the end, and it literally fires out backwards and forwards at a rate of knots. And you've got like a, a ball that you can put on the end. You can put like a little pointy thing. You can put a, uh, like a flat round plate on it and then there's like a two-pronged um attachment which goes down either side of your spine the shocker a bit like a shocker well it just it shocks your spine i can tell you that much jesus it's uh it's so like it makes you makes your teeth and eyes jiggle it's it's incredible um but then for me as 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 like a warm-up tool um Obviously, we've got foam rollers, um, hockey balls, which are great for like getting to your joints and um, ligaments and and tendons. But yeah, me this massage gun, it really it really works. So yeah. the other day, for instance, I felt a little bit tight in in my warm up. Um, hip was feeling a little bit tight, and quads felt a bit tight. So I was like going through it like a massage, well, like basically like a massage, just rubbing it up and down. And um, yeah, me like felt so good and it really with the vibration it gets really deep into the area so i highly recommend okay. and obviously post session if you're feeling a bit tight and there's no space and you haven't already got time to go and jump on a massage bed for an hour or, or someone's fully booked then great little tool just to yeah, yeah. to take advantage of and, and feel fresh ready for your next session i think it sounds great i, I, I use a pulse roll uh, oh yeah it's like that. a vibrating massage roll 
basically. <laughs> <laughs> it pulses and it rolls. It pulses and rolls. Uh, there's a peanut, which is kind of uh, it's shaped like a peanut and it vibrates and it, it fits in your bag. It's easy to take around. It's something, that's something um, that I've used a lot uh, over the last year and a half, two years. I think it's a great product. I think um, we're, we're take, talking about stuff like, obviously we have access to elite physiotherapy and massage and it's all part of the the national lottery funding package um world-class performance program package so um these are things that like we use on top of that um, yeah. uh, probably they're widely available through all good online retailers yeah i think it's just really important um to eradicate any muscle tightness or any mm. soreness or or anything that you, a little niggle that might then escalate to be an injury. Yeah, and it's increasing the rate of recovery. Yeah, like and it's yeah, bringing the blood flow to the to the tissue. Yeah, and, and you know that's what it's about. Right? You need to need to be fully a hundred percent before you even commit to training. Um, another question: Do you think deep tissue, deep soft tissue, is good after therapy? After an injury, sorry. After an injury. Oh. Yeah. Um, in like so for me who's got um like deep tissue like a quite a large muscle mass i'd say it probably would be but yeah. for someone like yourself who is a lot leaner um a lot leaner than me <laughs> i i don't know like like i i would i'd always i've always reacted well from deep deep tissue yeah. anyway and then I, it's always toned down post injury mm -hmm. just primarily to to let the if it's joint or um, ligament or muscular injury, then it would always be fifty percent of normal massage. Okay. Um. So it always, whether it be like a shoulder injury or like say for instance like last year I had um a lower back injury, yeah. everything around my body apart from my lower back would be a hundred percent all out massage, but my lower back would be a good sixty percent. Okay. To make sure that muscle tone is still still work through yeah but there's no chance of of like increasing the blood flow to that area to then for it not yeah for not for basically for it not to recover um because the more pressure put through maybe like a tear in your back yeah like i had like that that then just needs to heal naturally and, and just okay. and just get some some like tissue work through it so i've kind of had the opposite <laughs> have you <laughs> like that's uh, good though um I've had uh, quite a few hamstring tears and uh, not less actually as I've got better technically. Uh, Rainer Ryder kind of taught me how to run and uh, reduced the amount of hamstring injuries I've had. Um, one of the things was uh, there was this big school of thought that came out of uh, London from the therapist down in London that you don't actually treat the area, you treat everything around it and you let it heal. So in 2013, um, we had a, 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 the therapists in Loughborough were like, all right, London wants to do this. We'll try this. And uh, my hamstring kept on re-tearing, re, -tearing, re, -tearing, re I was like, unless someone batters this, <laughs> I'm going to pay someone else to go do it. And um, so I had basically, it's, it's a very small hamstring tear that took about four or five weeks to repair. Whereas as soon as I got someone to go through it and increase the blood flow and work out the scar tissue around the, around the tear, yeah. everything healed. Alice, get out. Alice, this <laughs> microphone is not yours. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, for me, I think um, obviously the first 72 hours, you don't really hit the, the scar, t scar or the cut itself or the, the tear itself. But so, yeah. as part of the recovery, I think it's important to um, 
attack it and uh, smooth it out as best as you can and create create as much blood flow as possible yeah. in the area. Oh, that's that's, that's my, interesting, isn't it? Cool yeah. Too. I think, um, I guess it depends like who your practitioners are exactly, um, yeah. and, and what train of thought they've got. You can look into it and do and do some research yeah. um, to really find out what, I guess, what works for you. And everyone's different. Like I said before, like my muscle tone is completely different to yours and you just react better to one way. Oh, um, yeah, I love a battering. Oh, mate, I, I do. <laughs> I do. But for a, for a thing, osteopath from uh, Birmingham who absolutely destroys us. Yeah. And he, Derry. His uh, elbow, the people's elbow is... People's elbow. It's, <laughs> it's not a kind thing to be... It's, it's almost like... Almost put ourselves through torture. But when... And, and this is a strange thing is, I think, like, for me, when you get injured, I don't know about yourself, but the level of treatment goes up. Um, so you get more, obviously, more treatment daily to try and eradicate the injury. Um which which means a lot more pain and suffering <laughs> than than the actual the actual injury might be not you know might not feel that bad but all the treatment that you do generally involves a lot of pain. It does. Um, if, uh, if one of the things that I found over the years, um, I kind of avoided Dr. Muller Wolfhart, who's a German doctor that Usain Bolt uses um, a lot of basically the top sports people in the world migrate to and uh if money was no issue i'd probably go see him regularly so what him. what does because uh, i've heard quite a lot about dr muller what what's like what's his way of treating injuries so dr muller wolfhart is a 80 something year old guy who's basically been working <laughs> like on an, athlete um, an on old sport wizard like. if you name go through like the history of british athletes he'll have treated them they might not publicly say it but like he's treated them. He, they've been to see him and I always had uh, like a, an aversion to him because I felt like, uh, why does he get all these results? But I think it's just because he's so much better than everyone else. Like uh, it sounds bad, like when you say it, but like the guy just understands the body. He's an osteopath, trained osteopath, and so he understands movement. He understands how the body should sit and how it will need to recover. He also has uh, at his disposal like um, the German uh, system allows. Uh, active vegan, which is something oh, nice. that uh, is not uh, readily available in the UK, but in Germany it's standard. It's it's not uh, it's not on the banned list for WADA or anything like that. So it's something perfectly perfectly legal. Um, and um, I think he's just aggressive with his treatment. Like he's just willing to go and push. He knows that how far the body can go, and he's going to push it. And as long as everything's within the legal ranges, it's not even close to doping in any way but it's just um he's just willing to go that bit further i think uh in the uk we're so we have all these parliamentary um restrictions restrict well they have that um also um when they have to go in front of the parliamentary committee oh the committee yeah and i think uh british sport sports uh and national government bodies are so worried about going in front of them now even though it's not doing anything wrong it's just uh it's just, just they don't taint, want to be they don't want to the get their name in the press, do they? No, I, and it's it's, it's unfortunate because it's like, well, you know that guys that you're competing against regularly will be going off to see this. Like when I, I I've been seeing Muller twice, and both times, the the athletes and the footballers and all these sports people that I saw there, and I was like, wow, this is this is why they come here. Like this is yeah. he's he's a real deal. It's not not name them because it's not fair on them, but like. No. Uh, 
but I we're think competing it's, against these guys. And, and it's, yeah, it's understand. A, there's, there's such fine margins in any sport, it's like even at novice level. But when you get to professional level sport, you have to, especially when this is your livelihood, you have to make sure that you like you reduce the chance of being injured and out of your game as much as possible. And yeah. there should be that allocation to, to take it to the next level so you can constantly perform at a high level knowing that your body is in the best shape possible to perform and, it, and effectively win your medals. It's, it's an investment in yourself as well. Like you've no, I, I, I'm not going to say the names, but you pretty much every medalist well most of the medalists from the last couple of years have been to see him in, within athletics will have gone to see this doctor because they know he's at the next level and he's going to give them <clears throat> excuse me the right level of support for them to perform at like a formula one car rather than like a, a rally car or something. i don't know it's like he just treats uh he understands the body better than everybody else and uh like i said if i could afford to see him i'd probably go and have a, a once over every couple of months to check <laughs> it does cost a fortune is he sponsored by the yogurt brand no, Muller, uh, to be fair, Muller paid for me. Too. <laughs> I'm an ambassador for Muller Yogurt. And um, thankfully, because of their support, I was able to go see Muller Wolfhart. <laughs> I just thought I'd slide that tenuous link. It genuinely was. If I hadn't got that support from, from Muller uh, Yogurts, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go see the guy. And, that, and that's why I thought I'd say it, because it takes that sponsorship or that little bit of investment for then you to be able to access mm. some of the best... Yeah. alternative therapy to what we receive daily. Yeah, and uh, for me, going to see Muller helped me sleep better. I had a problem in my lower back that I couldn't sleep properly for about six to seven months. It was like, and it was ongoing. It was just like, this is not helping. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a big thing in injury and, do you and think, rehab. Do you think like uh, with injuries and um, rehabilitation in the UK that some athletes may be a little bit scared of like, Going to source uh, external treatment? I don't think they're scared. I think if you look at uh, athletes now, I think everyone's kind of realised this is, if they want to get the best level of therapy, um, it's not an attack on British athletics, but no, they, need yeah. to go out, they need to go outside of the system, unfortunately. I think, um, as I said about parliamentary questions and committees and stuff, that national government bodies are worried about that. and um, Yeah, worried about the repercussions. Yeah, which rather than actually realising yeah. that like performance sport re requires performance level therapy. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I don't want to be having a go at British. No, yeah, <laughs> it, it was purely for the fact I was going to give football for the example where they've got a court, obviously with British athletics, we get regular um, like world-class physio uh, massage. Yeah. And, and with football, they've got a core based team. Obviously there's a, a, a massive amount of players where there's 30, yeah. 40 players. Um, but one of them gets injured they can't always see like three therapists, say no. 10 guys get injured. So they've always got that external well, yeah. linking to physios, osteos and, and masseuses. Like I, I, we're seeing it probably more now in athletics where athletes are taking it upon themselves to to then, to then well, see what the best options are as yeah. well as having like the, the core physios that you see. Like Jess Ennis is a perfect example. She had uh, a team with her in Sheffield and Leeds that was supported by British Athletics, but it wasn't employed by British Athletics. So they paid for it all. But um, she saw therapists that she knew were the best people for her body. Yeah. And um, they made it happen, which is brilliant of British Athletics. I think um, the acceptance of that is, uh, it doesn't maybe happen as much anymore. But mm -hmm. 
But then you look at that and it just shows that Jess obviously knew her body, knew what, exactly, what, yeah. what she wanted to do. And she was very rarely injured. Yeah, like when, you, when, you, when you look back at her career, career like, and then it was like actually like, yeah. but because of the support she had, she was able to come back from them and she was able to perform yeah. better than she had done before. So that's that's pretty special to have that set up around her. Um, I'll just go back to Muller. Like he's the Bayern Munich head doctor. Oh, wow. So like, I mean, then they're not a shabby football team. Not they? Football team. <laughs> no. um, I don't know if he's actually allowed to treat many other footballers from other German teams, but I've definitely seen international footballers there. That's really interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Um, back to injuries. Uh, what's your biggest injury you've had? Um, Bar my hernia, I'd have to say like a partial ACL tear playing football Ooh. when I was 16, which, and I hobbled off the sideline. I was like, oh, it's all right. My PE teacher was like, are you okay, Dan? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm just, I just, I think I've just twisted my knee or just jarred it or something. And it felt a bit sore. I sat on the sideline and made it ballooned with swelling and it was massive and yeah I went to the specialist and he said oh we won't operate because there's basically two strands of your ACL that's holding it together and it looks like it will bind back together so I had like multiple scans on it but touch I mean it's never been right since it's always been a bit weak but touch wood it's it's never actually gone again and okay. that's my only thing is I'd love to play football or rugby again but any big tackle that comes in I'll be like oh yourself <laughs> so um but yeah thankfully it did bind back together but that was i can just i didn't obviously know because i was young and everything. i just like looked down and i thought oh my knees knees hurting a bit and then after the football game had finished hobbled back to the the first aid room and it was i put some ice on it but it was massive yeah, oh yeah. dear what about you um for me uh i had a big bicep femoris tear uh in my in the tendon in 2009 and I kind of, uh, uh, so I made Olympic final in 08, 09, I was in better shape. Uh, I ran a PB over 350, 350 meters in April. And then within two weeks, I popped the, I had like a five centimeter tendon tear. And it kind of like 2009, I think would have been a good year to go. And it's all like shoulda, woulda, coulda. Um, kind of felt like the, my 350 pace would have been enough to go and run 44.0, maybe 43.9. Um, so that was, it's a shame that that happened. But then, you know, I kind of, I've, if I'd have done that, maybe my career would have finished soon after that, you know, because yeah. I can't, you can't sustain that level. Whereas, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things that happens. And maybe if I'd have seen Muller back in 2009 <laughs> after that, I could have been all right and saved that season. Some but magician. I still got a world medal that year, so it wasn't too bad. Got no, a world no. relay medal. So. No. Um, yeah. So injuries. I definitely think we can talk about that a bit more. Uh, yeah, like maybe uh, get some more guys in. If we, yeah, if we t if we if we get we can get a couple of guests in, and I think what will be really interesting is obviously running out of time. But if if we talk about the way that we then come back from injuries, you could we could, the we could easily slide into that. Yeah, the mental toughness, the procedures and practices that we go through that we use. Um, we can talk, you know, a bit like ultrasounding, MRIs, like prolotherapy, all the different, MRIs. all the different ways to kind of help us stay at the top of the game, and and hopefully you guys listening can can find out a little bit more about it, and and hopefully if you ever experience some of the injuries that we've spoken about, yeah, the practices in place will be will be a good thing to know about. 
Um, guys, thank you very much for listening to our fifth episode. Um, sorry if Alice the dog uh, has distracted us. No woof woofs. <laughs> no woof just woofs. Yet. She's done all right. She's just messing with her mics the whole way through. But thank you very much again for listening. Uh, if you could do the standard like and share and follow or subscribe yeah. to our podcast. Pass it on to people. Like we, yeah, we love hearing your comments about it. Obviously, we want to make ourselves better and. Um, talk about interesting things that you guys will enjoy to to hear us chat about um we've got some guests lined up so watch the space soon um be really interesting to to hear the thoughts of other athletes and sports stars that we can chat to um you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at martin rooney and at discostan um and yeah please please get in touch and like and subscribe yeah definitely uh send us some questions as well uh we like i think answering your questions and trying to give as much feedback as we can.